This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And today we have a very special guest. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, I'm Barbara Zink. I'm a mom of three boys and um, a closet Phi person. Nice. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us in a couple sentences about the main reason you're here? I wanted to share that right now I'm two years plus into altering my budget. And how I've done that is I've cut out the drinking budget and I've put that money towards investment. Specifically, my kids 529 was the main driver. I do not miss drinking, which comes to a big surprise to me, but I do love checking the balances of these accounts that have came from that particular money that I was spending. It's just a small change, but it's one of those things if you knew what was on the other side, you would have done it much sooner. Nice. And you are local here in, in Longmont, right? Yes. So we're excited when we got the email from you, but I know at least, you know, Carl and I have been trying to cut back on our drinking somewhat successfully, um, but also not successfully in other times. But for example, Carl, when was the last time you had a drink? It was Sunday. Mine was uh, yesterday, was less than 12 hours ago. So yeah, we're not, we're not on board with it completely yet, but I'm going to reveal something later, which could be interesting. So anyway, it was cool that you were in Longmont and willing to come in. The point being, there's a lot of like culture of like beer and drinking, especially beer. And it makes it a little tougher because that's like the social thing to do, depending on who you're hanging out with. So what was your drink of choice? My husband and I had kava on Sundays, and then I think I was getting kind of into the vodka tonics uh, towards the end, and those were a little dangerous. Yeah. But other than that wine, and and I love beer too. I loved it all, really. It always <laughs> yeah. went wonderful. Yep. <laughs> How many yeah. days a week did you enjoy alcohol? Seven. Seven? Okay. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and I think that's where... That's where I got into a little trouble, especially like this time of year where it gets dark a little earlier. People stay inside a little bit more and it's really easy to start calling it, uh, we called it whiskey season because <laughs> it's really nice to have a bourbon or, or whiskey, a scotch or something like that in the winter, but it's a bad habit, bad habit overall. Should we continue talking about the alcohol part or should we move on to something else and circle back? Yeah, let's circle back into that. Okay, cool. So start with something else now. Okay. So let's just get to know you a little bit more. You're a closet, uh, you know, fire enthusiast. And you said you moved to Longmont in roughly like 2007 or so. So can you just give us a little bit of a background? Because you've had some interesting um, travel and you've lived in different places before you got to Longmont. So tell us about that a little bit. I was born in Brevard, North Carolina, which is a small mountain town. When I was in third grade, my family moved to Germany, and we lived there for four years. 
that's when I developed my love for beer. <laughs> <laughs> and, Start uh, young, yeah. And then moved back to Brevard. And then my dad worked at a like a NASA tracking station in that area. And uh, that went away. And so he lost his job and he was picked up for a job in northern England. And so he moved there, but I was in high school. And in England, you're done uh, with high school or you're done with your A-levels at 16. So I couldn't go there and go to school because, you know, the systems didn't quite match up. So I stayed in Brevard and my mom stayed with me. She's a teacher. And we would just go there on the holidays and for the whole summer. And then when I turned 18, we all just moved there and I went to university there. That's when I met my husband, and then I told him I always wanted to live in Colorado my whole life. So we moved here, and then we moved back to England for three years, and then we moved back. And luckily, we kept our house, and we were able to move back into our house here. Very cool. Okay. And then when did you get into the fire um, community? You, you say you're a, a closet yeah. fire enthusiast. So what does that mean also? That means I don't talk about it. Okay. Uh, I've, tr I've tried to talk about it to some close friends and I just don't get an interested response at all, you know? Um, and even family too. Uh, everybody just likes to live the way that they like to live generally. And uh, even my husband doesn't, you know, like it. You know, oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But uh, uh, so that's, I just keep it to myself. I think that's kind of why I wanted to come here because maybe, you know, after all these years, I want to talk about it. <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you're in a great place. I think Carl, earlier before we started recording, asked if you had been to any of the HQ events, yeah. which is really like you probably can walk to it from where yeah. you live, right? Yep. So, okay, that's cool. Yeah. When did you discover? the the five podcast because it says here you're an avid listener yeah uh don't know exactly i think sometime maybe around 2014 or 2015 i started listening to podcasts and these and these types of podcasts i was kind of just more drawn to i'd put it on while i was cleaning the house and walking in and out of the room you know okay kind of thing and which which are your go tos? Are there some early ones or ones that you still listen to? Or yeah, what are you listening to now? Um, mostly the Choose Fi and the Mad Scientist. I listened to for a long time, and then I saw that there was a local one. You okay. Know? Yeah. Very cool. How did you first discover Fi? Do you remember the the day you learned about this whole movement? Uh. I don't exactly because it was already kind of so I've always kind of been more on the frugal side. I think there was a time in my life where I kind of lived it up for a while, but I was doing full time work and full time school. So it was kind of like what I had to give, you know, to, to make me stay uh, sane during that that time where it was all work and very little play. Um, but I've always been frugal living in Germany. We you reuse a lot of things, you know, and recycle is big. And um, I, I kind of picked up a lot of the stuff from my, my dad. Um, when he moved to England, we had two different households he had to pay for. And in England, they, for example, they meter or they don't meter your water. They just say, if it's a one person household, you pay a flat amount. And he called them as like, I don't use that. 
So you're going to come and meter this. Yeah. And But he took it a step further. He When he'd wash his clothes once a week, he would drain it into a five-gallon bucket. And then he would carry that bucket into the bathroom and use it to flush the toilet. So, you know, it's just <laughs> we got some weird eccentric things, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and he did that while we had the two households that when we moved there and started having company and stuff like that, it, you know, it ended abruptly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just kind of, you know, things like that, you know, I don't know, is kind of where it comes from. And gotcha. then, and then uh, the, I had a friend when I was 18 who showed me about miles for airplanes because I was flying back and forth to England a lot, I kind of tuned into that. And that just kind of flows into, you know, trying to figure out the, the different rules and the different advantages and, and trying to work it all to your advantage. Mm -hmm. Carl, have you, are you thinking about how you can reclaim your water? Actually, I got a good tip from a friend. What he does is when he <laughs> takes a shower, here we go. This is a good one for wintertime here in Longmont. When he takes a shower... He doesn't let the water go down the drain. He puts a plug in there, and that's because if you let the water go down the drain, there's hot water that's going back into the sewer where if it stays in your tub, you let the heat go into your house instead of just being wasted. So there, there's a tip for you both. Oh, but then he just lets the water go down though, right? He does eventually, but you let it cool off for like an hour or two, come to room temperature. So does he shower while like in a, I don't know, like three inches of water or something? He does. And is your friend you? It, it's not, but I'm going to do this tip. I got to buy a plug. I, I don't shower in a bathtub, so I got to get a plug, but it sounds yeah. it sounds great. So now, since we're being honest, Elizabeth has um, started putting like a, a bucket in the shower to just catch the water, and then we'll use it for not flushing the toilet, but for like watering plants or, uh, you know, other things where you can... We feel comfortable using that water. We're not like cooking spaghetti. If I don't see Elizabeth today, please tell her that she is my hero because of yeah. this habit. I like it. The worst part of that story is after I was like, this is so annoying, but I'm like, we end up getting like a decent amount of water, like a couple gallons. So it's worthwhile, even though I, sh I shouldn't even said anything. Yeah. I, f I feel weird about it now. No, okay. It's a good tip. I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This is, yeah, from a podcasting standpoint, that's how you make your guests feel comfortable. You admit something really stupid about yourself. So, so we're trying to, we're all trying to save water. So you grew up frugal. Have you always been a saver also? I've, yeah, I've always, tr not always. No, I think probably till about when I was 20, 22 is when I started to try to like hold on to as much as I could without spending it. But before then, it was spend it all. But still, though, 22, that's amazing. I think I was like 35 by the time before I learned that lesson. That's pretty good. I want to circle back to one thing you said, Barbara. When I first discovered Phi, I thought it was like the best thing ever. And like you, I tried to tell other people about it, and I was never successful. And as a matter of fact, I told one friend about it, and I think he, I, I can't confirm this, if he's listening, maybe he'll confirm it, but I can't, I can't confirm this. He went out and bought a Porsche. So I think I had the opposite effect. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want to live like you. That sounds scary. I'm going to <laughs> do this. And it's great. He enjoys his Porsche, different strokes for different folks. But I, I find it amusing because when I discovered this whole thing, I'm like, holy crap. I felt like the skies had opened up and I discovered this 
epiphany of one of the greatest epiphanies in my life. And other people are like, yeah, that's kind of strange. I'm going to go watch the football game now. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. My husband's last car was a Porsche. So I probably have the same effect on him. He, the more I talk about this at home, or I'll be like, look at how much I've saved. He goes to the car dealership, you know? <laughs> and and uh, so that's why I don't talk about it with him. Right. It's, I, I am a car person, so I have to ask, what kind of Porsche does he have? Uh, so he sold this one. He's he's now got his in-between car while he's going for the big fish. Now, mm. I guess he's... So he sold the, the Porsche 911. It was a, it was a 2012. And then uh, now he's got a 2023 Lexus IS500. But then he wants a BMW M3, I think is what it is. Ooh, that's hot. And just to... So you don't think I'm throwing anyone under the bus. I once owned an Acura NSX, which is a very fancy Japanese sports car. So I am not one to talk and people can make fun of me all they want as well. <laughs> but it's fine. I, I've come to terms with it. So actually him owning the, the Porsche 911 because of the crazy used car market, you know, it didn't depreciate. So I can't get mad at that. Every other uh, car, you know, usually has a depreciation. This one didn't. So I'm hoping... This other one doesn't as much either, <laughs> but I kind of figured out too that like the the taxes and fees and registrations for this vehicle is going to be like my son's two year tuition at his college, <laughs> his community what? school. So it's kind wow, of, that's kind of a harsh realization. Yeah, that's a lot. But you know, I'm I'm happy my husband's dreams are coming true. Right, <laughs> right. Well, we could dive into the the complexity that you run into, the issues that you run into when there's uh, disagreement on how to approach finances, which is huge. That could be like a whole entire show. But we'll we'll start moving into the topic of the day, which is giving up alcohol. So t talk about how this came about in the, in the beginning. You mentioned it's been about a two-year journey, mm -hmm. two-year adjustment. So from the very beginning, when did you decide to do this? So my son was starting high school and and um, it just kind of really, I felt some really deep shame about how we hadn't started a 529. And we always put our money elsewhere, like the money was going other places, um, but we just hadn't done it. And, um, and I wanted to catch up on that real fast. Uh, so... I kept going back to the budget and looking at like, okay, where do we have any play? And that was one of the biggest places where there was a lot of play. And I'd been wanting to stop because I, I've been a, a jolly drinker for a long time. And I probably have drunk enough in the first half of my life to make up for my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and at the same time, thankfully I, uh, I was losing my taste for it too. Like I it was like right when I turned 40, you know, it mm. just, it, it kind of, I, I wasn't looking forward to it anymore. So I kind of had the wind at my back for, for quitting. Um, so I kind of negotiated it for, with it for a while, you know, uh, but in the end I found out I just didn't want to drink. I just didn't want to. And, um, I'm not very social. So that aspect, which is, was going to be the hardest part for most people, you know, wasn't really there for me. I'm just, I'm just mostly around my family and, 
they don't care if I drink or not. You know, maybe they would prefer me not to. Um, my husband didn't really want me to <laughs> kind of sound like my husband and I disagree a bunch. We really do get along really well, but we do disagree on things, but we get on with it fine. Yeah. So we had about $300 a month that we were spending on average. And um, my husband still continues to drink. He just, he definitely doesn't drink as much because he doesn't have his partner doing it with him. Uh, but the majority of that um, is now money that we can reallocate. And so I opened up three 529s and, you know, kind of did a descending order. You know, my oldest child got the most money and then that, and, uh, and kind of was like, well, this, it's, it's a, making a dent, but it's not going to make the dent I want. So then I, I decided I was going to take that $300 and start a business. So I did an online um, e-commerce thing. And that was at least getting me to where I could double it. So that was kind of exciting because if I hadn't have stopped the drinking and looked at that, I wouldn't have done that. Now I've got double, you know, right. which is kind of, it's, it's not a whole lot of money, but it adds up over time. And, uh, and then I had money left over that I started uh, a spousal IRA as well that I could max out. And I think you may have just alluded to it or mentioned it in passing, but how much did you save every month by stopping drinking? 300. 300. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's significant. 3,600 a year. And then you doubled that with your online business, yeah. so 7,200. And you said you don't think you would have been able to do your online business if you didn't stop with the alcohol. I just wouldn't have been inspired. Okay. Because it just wasn't what I wanted to right. put in there. And... The online business sounds interesting. So we'll dig into a couple of details with that. So 300 a month, was that um, mostly out or did you drink in? I guess, where were you spending that 300? Just curious. Yeah. So restaurants at home. Okay. So mm -hmm. about a little of both, pretty mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't too social. It was just kind of a pastime and became yeah, just, a little bit of a habit, right? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. A staple. I, yep. <laughs> And was it something like um, a certain time of day, you're like, oh, it's time to grab a drink and start uh, making dinner or like winding down in the afternoon or something? Yeah. Um, different different things at different periods of my life. There was a time that I was under a lot of stress because um, my boys weren't learning to read in school. And uh, I uh, I couldn't figure out why and... I had to do a lot of training and, and um, had to tutor them at school once I found out uh, what that was about. And uh, so the training, and then I started advocating as well. And, uh, and it was just the most work I've ever done in my life. And a lot of panic I was feeling because I wasn't sure if they would be good readers, good spellers, good writers, you know. And uh, there was a point where I kind of got over that hump. But... It was it was about four o'clock on Sundays where it was just like I had to release some of that steam and panic. Uh, but it was it was so trapping because, you know, I knew if I had a drink, I wasn't going to leave that whole evening. You know, I was I was going to be at home. So that was another thing that was nice about stopping completely is is I can go out and, right. and run errands in the evening where before, you know, I had to do it in the morning only. And one thing we haven't even talked about 
you came at this from a financial perspective, but the health aspects of it too. Doug and I have had the conversation about the Andrew, Andrew Huberman podcast where he said, there is no safe level of alcohol. It used to be, hey, a glass of wine might be good for you, or maybe a beer or two a night is okay. But now I think every major health organization has come out, like you know the U.S. and Canada say, there is no safe level. Anything above zero is bad for you. And, and I want to read a quote real quick. This is from the World Health Organization. So they say on their website, the risk of developing cancer increases substantially the more alcohol is consumed. However, the latest available data indicates that half of all alcohol attributable cancers, again, that's half, in the World Health Organization European region are caused by light and moderate alcohol consumption. Less than 1.5 liters of wine or less than 3.5 liters of beer or less than 450 milliliters of spirits per week, not per day, per week. So how, what's a pint? So like they're saying four, probably three or four pints of beer are is dangerous. That's going to increase your chance. Well, any amount mm-hmm. is going to increase your chances of cancer, but even this light amount will, which is uh, pretty startling, I think. Right. Yeah. And longtime listeners of the show will know that cancer runs in one side of my family. And I think it's going to come and get me someday. And alcohol is really bad, especially the kind of cancers that run in my family from what I understand. So I have been like cutting down quite a bit. And one thing you mentioned, Barbara, is um, socially, it didn't really impact you too much. For me, and I think Carl, you're probably in this as well, but like socially, like I said, people are like, hey, let's go meet at a brewery. Let's do that. But I also had this, in the air quotes, identity of a home brewer and a beer judge. And I spent a lot of time and have a lot of friends that that do that. And people know me as a person who like brews beer. So the friend that I hadn't seen in maybe a year and a half he saw me like a week ago was like, oh, have you brewed more beer? Have you done judging? And I'm like, no, like I'm trying to not drink as much. It's mostly filled with like my kegerator is filled with like carbonated water and hop water and stuff like that. There's actually, yeah, there's not even any beer in there. And I have all this brewing equipment. So part of my struggle was like distancing from that identity and just like, I'm doing other shit now. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. Um, And Carl, how do you respond to that? Do you have any similarities, I guess? Well, it's difficult because I've decided to restrict my drinking to social stuff only, which uh, cuts down a lot. I'm not going to sit there and have a beer while watching a football game at my house or something like that. But I have a pretty healthy social life these days. And a lot of times, like you said, like this, the last beer I had was a friend who was like, hey, let's meet up. I want to talk to you about a business idea. Let's meet up at a brewery. So it's hard. It's so embedded in the culture here. Like like when I was a kid, there were no microbreweries, or maybe they were, but they were an obscure concept. And the only people who went to go to bars were like old alcoholics, like families did not go to bars or drinking establish, establishments. And here you go to bars and there's kids and everyone has their dogs and everything. It is a family event. There's even one in Fort Collins near us that has a playground set up. Yeah. So and they show like kids movies so the kids can go throw foam blocks at each other while the parents drink. So I think it is a little bit harder here because it's so embedded in what everyone does. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, you you did a good job limiting it to social events, but 
like I would literally like grab a beer at two in the afternoon while I'm working or whatever because I'm self-employed and it, you know, if I get a lighter beer, be fine. <laughs> or after a good workout. So anyway, yeah, I have, I have some work to do, I guess. All right, where are we at, Carl? Where, where, what do we got? Here? Yeah, let, let's wrap up this part. So you said your husband did not stop altogether. Were there any other things you noticed within your family? It sounds like you and your husband have a great relationship despite these differences. Was it hard to reconcile you stopping and him continuing on in some amount? I don't think so. Uh, I knew he was always going to continue. And I think... The thing that was hardest for him is he really liked our kava on this on Sunday, you know, and that was the last thing I held on to before I said, I'm sorry. It messed up my sleep. I woke up, I had sweat all over me. I don't, you know, because we even tried like, because normally it's about four o'clock and then we'll, you know, we'll have the kava, we'll do our chores, we'll get ready for the work week together. And, uh, um, you know, I even said, well, let's try to do it in the morning and yeah. see if I can sleep. Mm -hmm. I even tried it like that way and, uh, still. So, yeah. Yeah. The sleep is so serious. Um, I've been drinking more this past month or so and I have an Apple watch. So I like track my sleep data and it's completely wrecked. Mm -hmm. So I cut back a lot for like six weeks or so. And then around Thanksgiving sort of drinking a little bit more. And yeah, it's just, I mean, the data is so clear, mm -hmm. even on my watch. And I don't feel that bad most of the time. So I'm like, ah, it's probably fine. But I know it's actually like a pretty big issue. Yeah, it's quite cumulative too. Yeah. And then not drinking the day before, I get out of bed so much easier in the morning, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so you don't have that grogginess or you're not dragging. You're, you're actually pulling everyone yeah. along, which is, which is wonderful. So you saved this 300 per month and then it inspired you to start a small uh, like side business, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. Um, so it, I, I started selling textbooks when I was in university, um, used textbooks. Uh, and uh, so I opened up an eBay account back then when eBay was kind of really hard to upload pictures. and. Right. I don't even remember how we got paid. If it was like we waited for a check in the mail, I don't remember if it where it was at that point. But uh, so I, I started there, and then I didn't really touch my eBay account until uh, COVID, and uh, and doing this, I as like I found a pair of shoes, and uh, they were a, a pair of shoes that my kids were just going nuts over, and it wasn't their size in the store, but they were brand new, and uh, they were for a really cheap price. And so I was like, well, I'm going to try something. I'm going to buy these and I'm going to put them on there and see what happens. And they kind of sold right away. And then I just kind of got hooked. So uh, it's going around your house and finding things that you don't use anymore, um, things that the boys have outgrown, and, uh, and also going, going around the community and seeing what you can find and, okay. uh, and putting on there. And this is, I think a lot of people call it like retail arbitrage, right? So you'll go yeah. and... That's actually my name on there is the retail arbitrage oh, really? project. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. So how did you start following someone to see how they were doing it? So I listened, our friend Nick Loper, Side Hustle Nation, 
I heard um, a bunch of interviews that he did, you know, several years ago at this point, probably still current, but people would do that. They'd go with uh, their app on their phone. They would head over to Target or Walmart or any, any retail yeah, shop. I don't do that. Well, okay. No. So, yeah. So how did you learn um, the nuts and bolts or did you just figure it out as you were doing it? I kind of figured it out as I went along. Actually, I skipped a part. I, my last job I had, I was an assistant for an entrepreneur who had several businesses and lots of stuff left over from all the businesses. And uh, a good majority of the stuff he had was a vintage model airplane uh, parts and engines and stuff like that. And he's like, I don't care how you do it. Just get, just see if you can sell this stuff on. And so, uh, yeah, that's when I started my eBay account. But this, the shoes is when I decided I was going to do it for me kind of thing in the family. Um, so, yeah, for about a year and a half, I had practice with interfacing with eBay and selling all these things for all the various things my uh, boss is trying to liquidate. Okay. And it's really only been like a couple years since you were doing it for yourself? Yeah. Okay. Have you seen many changes over the last couple of years with the competition level or the pricing or anything like that? Yeah. I I think it's it's gotten harder. Last year was, I think, the last easy, like fish in a barrel kind of year. Mm. This year it's... Uh, I go around, I'm seeing people with their phones out, you know, plugging stuff in, you know, all the time now, which I didn't see before. Um, and and the economy is not as strong uh, this year as it was the year before. So. Is, is that at thrift stores? Where do you see people on their phones assessing prices? Yeah, at the thrift stores and okay. at the box stores. Okay. Have you ever been to the Goodwill bins in Denver? No. Uh, have you heard of this before? I've seen it on YouTube, but part of it is I like to keep my overhead as small as possible. And we've got such great stuff here locally. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't feel the need to drive out. Yeah. So, so Doug, the bins are this crazy thing where like every hour or so they'll tell everyone to turn their backs. Excuse me. Everyone has to go like against the wall and then they bring out these big bins of clothes and then they're like, on your marks, get set, Go. And they're just donations that no one has scouted out or done anything with. But my kids get some. I'm like, girls, if anything says Patagonia or North Face, get it. And they've gotten some of that. And they do exactly what you said. They go resell it on eBay or some other site. It's an interesting experience. Wash your hands after you go there. <laughs> Wear gloves. Yeah. Okay. So you you just stick around here mostly. You find some stuff. How do you judge like what you're going to buy and flip um i if i i think like the minimum i would want to get on something would be twenty dollars um but i would like for it to you know be double or triple preferably triple the amount of what i'm spending so and then how do you check the you know the going price for a given item um i don't like to have my phone out with when I'm with me and I know that's mm. probably, I just don't like to do that. So I just kind of go on gut. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's tough. If it's something I would go out of my way to buy, yeah. I'll buy it. But if it's just something that's ordinary and, you know, I leave it and I leave most things. I don't buy very much. Okay. Do and I only go once a week. Just once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, How 
how did you decide or do you stick with specific um like categories like uh you know shoes for kids or something like that or do you do you have like a, a list of things where you're like these usually work out and then others were like these usually don't work out yes i don't want to give away too much information because <laughs> it's it's been a lot of effort and watching and okay i think you know there's youtube videos on there where people you know say they make you know tens of thousands of dollars each month and then you know and they're just kind of you see what they're flipping i'm like i don't i just can't imagine people really buying a lot of that stuff um but i think really they're making their revenue from the youtube and i don't think they're being quite honest right you know okay okay personal we'll, opinion we'll re respect that yeah <laughs> youtube's crazy the um i was gonna say i buy like as a consumer i know i buy like a lot of um like camera lenses and other electronics, like all all the studio equipment is basically like from eBay because people don't throw around their recorders or their microphones. They usually treat it pretty well. So they're like, they're like brand new. Like mm -hmm. there's not a scratch. I don't even know if they took them out of the boxes is how new some of this stuff is. So I, I suspect those hold on to their value. Thus, they're probably not great flipping things because... You can't get a good deal on them. They just cost what they cost. Mm. Unless you just happen to find someone who is selling it on like Craigslist or something like that where they like don't know what they have, but it's so easy to check mm -hmm. that it's unlikely. Okay. So, Carl, do you have any other questions on the eBay business? No. All right. Let's talk about the spousal IRA. What What is that and what triggered you to get that going? So you qualify for a spousal IRA if you make a lower income. Um, and it's the same as like the regular IRA where um, you have a maximum. And not too many people know about it. And the, the rules are a little bit fuzzy too. They don't really go into like very, very specific rules. But generally, you know, I think I meet that criteria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you didn't have um, a retirement account prior to that, or? Uh, I did have a 401k when I was much younger, but that one's been rolled over into a different one. Okay. And it's, I don't have any in my name. That's the only one I have in my name. Got it. Okay. That's cool. And then you fund that from your side bus business income? Is that? Yeah. Uh, it's It's a mixture now. My husband's now working extra hours and getting more bonuses and his pay has gone up a lot over the last two years. So it's not just my store that's funding it like it was in the beginning. Mm. Um, I'm putting some of his money in there too. Okay. Gotcha. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I, this one wasn't on my radar. Have you heard of this, Carl? I have not. Interesting. Okay. Maybe we'll find a link with information, but it sounds like something um, for a specific set of people that is kind of perfect. And maybe that's yeah. why we haven't heard about it. Too yeah, if much. you have a spouse staying home raising kids, or just you know, just one person is working, you know, um, the other one makes a smaller income. It doesn't go into what a small income is, but I I reckon mine's okay. <laughs> it's definitely small enough. Got it. All right. Well, let's talk about your feelings after two years with a budget alteration in the absence of alcohol. So you alluded to some stuff earlier but yeah how do you feel you're sleeping better mm -hmm. 
what else can you fill in here? Just a couple years of changes. Yes, uh, rock solid sleep, and uh, said I don't have grogginess in the morning. I've never been a morning person, and I think drinking is probably what's kind of made that even harder for me. Yeah, you know, just just having that layer of groggy. Um, I I really like I said before I really like that I've got. 40k where I didn't have 40k before and that's the sum of those those four accounts um and it doesn't matter to anyone in the world that I don't drink you know my neighbor two doors down doesn't care no it doesn't change anybody's life really like um that I don't have a drink in the evening it's such an insignificant thing you mm -hmm. know but it's made a big difference um kind of had a more fun personality come out when I was a drinker. And I think that's something that my husband misses it, like to really joke and cut up and was kind of silly. Um, but I've learned to kind of bring more of that out in my own personality um, and try to be more fun, you know, not just like after one drink fun kind of thing. It's yeah. like, I'm just, I just got to incorporate more fun yeah. in, into my person who I am. Uh, and and it feels more genuine and it feels more real. So that I really appreciate um, to have that. Uh, another thing too is if, if there's ever like an emergency or something that happens, um, I'm ready to go. I'm mm -hmm. ready to act. Um, I was involved in an emergency. One of my friend's kids um, fell and cracked his head and got a brain injury. And it was during a block party where we normally just drink with full abandon <laughs> and just have, you know, with the neighbors and have a good time. This year, or that, that year that that happened was a year that I was like, well, I don't really feel like it too much. You know, I'll go and hang out and talk with everybody, but I'm just not, I just don't want to do it. And then that happened. It was a bouncy ca castle incident. And uh, later when it got really bad, I was able to drive the mom to the hospital where had that not happened, you know, it had, I had, I'd been drinking, I would have been like, you know, sorry, let me know how it turns out. And that would have felt awful. One thing Doug and I have experimented with, and I think we did this at the HQ is a, a non-alcohol drink. And I know there's mocktails and things like that. Do you do any of that? Just to, I don't know, keep, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe ritual, like, uh, mm -hmm. So it seems a little, and I, I think you hit on something that's pretty important. Like I, and I had the same thought. It's going to be so weird if I'm not drinking, but most people just, just don't care. They're they paying attention notice. to themselves. Exactly. But it still feel, felt a little bit better to have that fake beer. And it actually tasted pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it kind of felt like I was doing the same thing. It was a better experience than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you don't do anything like that. No fake I had a big booze. ritual to start. Um. And I probably would drink like seven different types of drinks during the day because I yeah. felt like, you know, I had to, I couldn't let my taste buds get bored or something. So it was like coffee in the morning and then a water and then I'd have like a protein drink and then later I'd have like, you know, apple cider vinegar water. And then I'd have a, you know, just like, mm -hmm. you know, with dinner, I'd have a sparkling water, or, you know, just, just all the, you know, of course it probably added up to a lot of money like that I was trying to save, <laughs> but it just kind of, it got me over the hump that, you know, and it just eventually you just start drinking more coffee and water and you know yeah yeah that's 
That's perfect, Carl, because what I was going to ask you is how you transitioned. When I've cut back on alcohol, there's a couple triggers, right? There's a couple um, things that trigger the routine and it could be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss some of them, but it's like the time of day, like we've talked about already, the people that you're with, like your husband, and maybe the environment that you're in, or maybe the mood that you're in. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different triggers and really strong habits that are hard to break will have multiple components. Like at your house at 4 p.m. with your husband on a stressful day, mm-hmm. right? Really hard to break away from that ritual that gives you comfort and makes you feel a little better, loosens you up a little bit. So by replacing it, that's one of the great things to do is replace it with something else that's kind of similar. So like the hop water or a fizzy water. And we literally have done that where we just have like carbonated flavored water that is nothing really like beer, but at least we have the ritual like you talked about, Mm -hmm. Carl. Super helpful. And then we'd have like uh, herbal tea in like right before bed, which was another thing. Like we often, horrible habit, we'd like have a beer like right before bed. Mm -hmm. And that 100% messes up your sleep, plus you have to wake up to pee in the middle of the night. So any other tips as far as breaking your habit, which you said you would drink like seven seven days a week, even if it was just like a small amount. Mm -hmm. So any other tips? I think you got to find your motivators and then- once, you know, one motivator isn't doing it for you as much anymore, you have to, you have to find another one. So you said you watched Huberman and get information from him. He, I believe he talked about how, you know, drinking lowers your threshold for stress um, when you're anticipating, you know, that relief you're going to get from a drink later on. So it actually makes stress harder to deal with and it makes you perceive you know, that that drink is going to give you the relief you need more intense, you know, as, as things get more intense, you know, your, your, I don't want to say addiction, but, but it is a low scale addiction, you know, um, so that there's that, um, so information is good. There's a, there's a British, uh, author that wrote a book called, um, I forgot what it is now, but his name is Alan Carr, and and I like his method. It's actually a method that a lot of uh, celebrities have used that have gone total teetotal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically thinking like all the things that you think are positive about alcohol, actually really thinking about it and turning it into a negative. So it it becomes something that you don't look forward to anymore. You don't like the taste. You don't. It just kind of changes everything in your mind, mm. which is kind of interesting that 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 probably helped along the way too. Another thing too is it might be good just to cut back. Um, I don't think it's always a good idea for everybody to quit completely. Um, your body kind of develops certain enzymes that protect you from things that it knows you do often, you know, like like if you have like a moderate sun exposure or you smoke or you drink and when you go from full stop to start again stop start or you go from you know drinking a little and binging um it really does throw your body off and does a lot more harm so plus quitting can be a little too stressful for some people 
So the most benefit you could get is just cutting back, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. One thing I'll add in here is having a group of people do it with you. So here, here's the reveal that I, I haven't told Carl about yet, but I'm going to do dry January. And I think a couple people in our community did it last year. And my wife, Elizabeth, usually does dry January. So it'll be much easier if she's not drinking and I'm not, we help each other out. And then when we hang out, we can say, hey, like, instead of going to meet at a brewery, let's go on a hike instead and then not get a beer after we go on the hike, that sort of thing. So I'm going to do that. And uh, I bet we could get a thread going on the Facebook group with that people to uh, sign up. But I know another couple of folks in the community are going to do it. Carl, I think you may have special occasions in like uh, January, so you might not be able to do it, but what, what do you think of that? Yeah, we usually make an exception for our anniversary, which is at the end of January, but I like it. And I, last year we did something similar. We had, we both had dinner, had a friend and all three of us, all three sets of people were not drinking. So we just brought other beverages. Like I think I brought some kind of weird Pepsi product that had, it was a Pepsi on nitro that that's what oh, it was. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like root beer too. I think that's great. So I, I think that's good. I think that's one way to really beat this, just surround yourself with people who have the same goals because it's a lot more difficult. <laughs> hey, we're going to meet at Shoes and Brews or whatever. Like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes it tougher. And just so you don't drink at all anymore? Not 100%. So okay. there, I think there's some occasions that warrant it. So yeah. um, trying something new that you've never tried before. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had a moonshine when I was back in North Carolina mm -hmm. a few times ago. And then, uh, I've, I've had a drink to drink to, uh, some close friends and neighbors that have died recently. Uh, just one, you know, cause I thought that that was the most appropriate tribute to mm -hmm. that particular person. And then I was in, uh, Mexico by the pool and I'm like, I'm going to have a pina colada. Yeah. So in the, in the last two and a half years, I've had five. Okay. Great. Yeah, that makes... <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's yeah. fine. I'm not... It makes it a little more special, too, when you have yeah. that, that drink. Because versus... I remember all of them. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there's no way I could remember, like, the last five <laughs> drinks. I could just remember the one yesterday. That's it. All right. Well, cool. Any other, like, insights or things you want to share about the experience of, like, not drinking and what it's done for, like, you and your family? It's, I think it's just easier than you think. Once you find that motivation that clicks with you and you keep finding, keep looking for reasons for it to work for you, it's, it's very doable. And is there anywhere that you want people to follow you? So, no. okay. Please don't. Great. You're, yeah. Don't, don't follow me. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Even your eBay store, you want people to check that out or no? It's okay if, if not. I, I mentioned it if you want to go there. Okay. All right, Barbara, this has been awesome. Thanks for joining us and being an inspiration. I hope other people will uh, take a look at it themselves. Great way to save money. I, I'm, I'm going to be cutting back more, but uh, definitely for January, I'm not going to drink at all. So I'll make yeah. that proclamation. If, if anyone has any tips or stories about their own stoppage of alcohol, leave a comment on YouTube or send us an email. All right. Well, thanks, Barbara. Very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. 
If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. What's your favorite breakfast place in Longmont? My kitchen. If you invited Carl and I over, what would you cook? I would have my husband cook breakfast because he is, he's the best. Okay. What, what would your husband cook? Oh, biscuits and gravy, pancakes. Yep. All right. Those are his specialties. That sounds pretty good. Is he around right now? He's yeah. at work. Uh, I was going to say, let's do that. Yeah. Just, can you make that happen? All right. And then uh, you're a coffee drinker. What coffee shops in town do you go to or do you make it at home? Or I make it at home. Okay. Where do you where do you get your coffee? What beans? What what do you prefer? I like the standard uh Costco first colony. Okay. I think it's pretty solid. I've been resisting like I typically until the Costco opened, like right down the street, I would go to Sam's and I think it's Boyer's coffee, which is uh competitively priced, but it's like a, a Denver roaster. So usually I get that, but they don't have it at Costco. And I've been dragging my feet on that specific coffee. It's just the house brand, right? But it's okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. I may have to try it out. And now, Carl, you're not a coffee drinker. So what do you drink in the morning to get you going? Yeah, sometimes a diet Mountain Dew. Okay. All right. How'd you get started on on the Diet Mountain Dew? You just never you never gave it up as a young, from a young boy. Yeah, well, first I got started on regular Mountain Dew, and then I went to the dentist one time after a layoff of going to the dentist, and the dentist is like, "You have three cavities." I'm like, "Oh crap!" Oh, so man. then that I had to transition to the diet version, so I don't get cavities anymore. Gotcha. Are you concerned about like the um, artificial sweeteners and stuff? I think that stuff is overblown, but I have cut back. Water has to be better for you than whatever stuff chemicals are in that. You look at the ingredients, I don't think there's anything natural in Diet Mountain Dew except for the water content. Yeah. You need that yellow dye number five or whatever, right? Is that supposed to be good? Or is it red? I don't know. I think so. It tastes good. I heard it can give you superpowers if you have enough, like (laughs) Spider-Man with uranium. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think that's called ADHD. It's great, but it's...